This is Witchcraft Off the Beaten Path. I am Molly Dyer, and I am joined by my very dear friend and also uh, podcaster. My name is Aaron Jones, and I am the host of the upcoming Hiking Olympus, uh, also available on Anchor FM. Yes, and I think you're also going to be available on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, too. Uh, yes, I am uh, available on Spotify as of yesterday. I'm still waiting on Apple. Yeah, I'm waiting on Apple, too. Okay. <laughs> uh, and we are at our favorite little coffee shop in the Panhandle of Texas, and that's all you've got to know. <laughs> um, so you might hear some ambient coffee clatter noises, like, in the, back, <laughs> in the background. <laughs> Things like that. I wanted to ask some questions of my friend Aaron. Because um, there are things I know about you, and um, are you you ready? Yeah. Okay. So I know your mom practiced. Your mom practiced witchcraft when you were young. Were you born into this path, or did your mom find witchcraft sort of after she gave birth to you? And it, was it something that developed over your childhood? Um, it wasn't too long after I was born. I want to say it was. It must have been about three. When she had um, joined a coven, um, back, you know, around the time I was born, I want to say she was pretty a-religious. She was still trying to, like, find herself in her own spirituality and everything like that. Mm -hmm. And I think she kind of went through, like, a rebellious phase where she wanted to do, like, everything that she wasn't allowed to do. Sure. And that's kind of what that ended up being. Um, and then she uh, joined a, a group from a, an old occult shop that was, that used to be here back in the 90s. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and she saw like, sort of like a flyer for it on their cork board. And so she joined in and she was in that for a pretty long time up until I want to say about uh, 1999 to 2000. Okay. And while I was like, she kind of like taught me it in ways that I could understand as, you know, like a toddler on up. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of like died off when my dad started, you know, doing his thing. Okay. And so we, that, that wasn't really much of a thing until I discovered my own path at like 17, 18. Mm -hmm. so. And, and so obviously your mom was sort of, in, she didn't discourage that at that point. No, because she, she was experienced <clears throat> in that. Yeah, she definitely encouraged a certain level of uh, secrecy with it uh -huh. because she knew how well it would fly with my dad and he was very much like a rock. Right. And um, so certain things weren't permitted in the house. She's like, okay, if you're going to be like doing like circles or whatever with your friends, I don't care, but you're going to the park. <laughs> going to the park, don't do it here at home. What is your, what was your mother's religious background? What sort of religion did she come up in? Um, my mom actually grew up in a... Uh, I guess you could call it multi-faith okay. um, environment. It, it was either way that you looked at it, it was extremely conservative. Mm -hmm. um, she was partially raised by my great-grandfather, who was Jewish, and he was like, you know, fiddler on the roof, bordering on Hasidic Jew. Your grandfather was Tevye. <laughs> yeah, he really was. <laughs> uh, but my... Um, my grandparents, her parents, were both Church of Christ. Um, my grandfather, who oh, that's was familiar to me. Yeah, my, <laughs> my grandfather, who um, was my great grandfather's son, um, 
was raised Church of Christ because my great grandfather married a Christian, and because you know here in the Panhandle, that's pretty much all you got. Yeah, that's, and, that's it. Um, so he let my grandmother take the reins on raising my grandfather as very staunch Church of Christ, and my grandmother was as well. And so my mom, between growing up pretty well Orthodox and Church of Christ at the same time, there was a whole lot of conservatism and a lot of superstition that circulated. Okay. That's kind of what she was brought up as, and that was what she was rebelling against in the 90s. Okay. (laughs) Did you ever find yourself rebelling against having sort of been raised in paganism or witchcraft? Um, I wouldn't really call it so much a rebellion as it was more being disillusioned with a lot of it. Like because, mm. uh, like my mom's past back in the 90s anyway, it was very, um, you know, very white, which very Wiccan flavored, very fluffy bunny. Mm-hmm. And not that there's anything wrong with fluffy bunnies. <laughs> She was all the white light and all that stuff. Yeah, and I was, I think, partially because, especially with the very complicated upbringing I had, especially with my father, that I was looking for something a lot more substantial and liberating Mm -hmm. in that because I felt like the, you know, a lot of the rules and dogma in Wicca was very, um, like you can't curse others. You can't um, yeah. do anything about other people. It's all about yourself. But really, when you grow up in a very abusive situation, you look for an, a certain element of personal empowerment. And that often means, especially with abuse victims, don't fuck with me. Right. Um, right. And another thing is, I was also just looking for something a lot more substantial, I guess I felt like there was a lot of missing puzzle pieces with the Wiccan picture. Like, um, I I think it's because I was brought up in a mostly Jewish family that, you know, I was so used to that permeating every single part of my life to where, you know, now you have, like, a lot of, like, (laughs) missing holes in the theology Mm -hmm. and things like that because it is a really new religion. Right. That, you know, they still haven't, like, fully developed into whatever it is it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really have a lot of that structure that I needed. And I needed right. something probably a lot more... Uh, deeply rooted? I, I guess deeply rooted. Um, and definitely something a lot more cultural. Right. Because um, growing up in a mostly ethnic family, you, know, there's, you, you have a lot of serious cultural ties. And there are a lot of cultural links between like the Wiccan path other similar ways, but it was almost a Celtic and yeah. being a person of color, like my dad's family for clarification for listeners is Iranian. Mm-hmm. And I just really wanted to be closer to myself and who I identified with. Okay. And I didn't really have that as an option. Right. So to clarify also, uh, and I'm not asking you to name your abuser, but I will say, I know it wasn't your mom. Yeah. Okay. Uh, who we're talking about, and I'm friends with on Facebook now. Yeah. <laughs> and my mom's pretty cool beats. <laughs> yeah, she is. And when I first moved here and first started making friends for three years ago uh, with people in the witchcraft community, everyone was talked about your mom and having been, you know, in a coven with your mother, and you know, and our mm-hmm. my friend Candy, who I'm going to interview next week, as mm-hmm. well. So your roots are a lot deeper in this in this local community. 
What paths have you traveled and abandoned? I don't think I've ever been asked that question. I've never really put a lot of thought in it, but it's a, but now that I think about it, it is actually a pretty, I think I, you know, started off like how most people did is I picked up, you know, uh, I, I believe the title is a book for the solitary practitioner by Scott Cunningham. <laughs> Please see my very first podcast for more information about Wicca, a guide for the solitary practitioner by Scott Cunningham. <laughs> Anyone who had any serious inkling anyway about going down this path, it's familiar. It's so many people pick up that. Well, I actually picked up Magical Herbalism. That was my first book. Mm-hmm. My second book was Herbs and Oils. Yeah. Oils, Herbs, and Incense, I think. But uh, I, when I was coming to Wicca in 1988, that book was released, Guide for the Solitary <laughs> Practitioner. Yeah. I literally just did a podcast about that. And so so many people that I know, it's a very friendly foray. It's a very friendly open door, Scott yeah, Cunningham. Yeah, it really is. Um, and, I, and I'm forever grateful to him. Yeah, and I, I still often find myself kind of referring back to that book in terms of, like, I think it was a really good blueprint. It's a great blueprint. For self-exploration. And a lot of his uh, supplementary books, I know um, his book, I believe it's called Earth Power, which gets into like elemental meditation and magic work, was really formative mm-hmm. for me in learning different techniques and things like that. And I still find myself referring to that because I kind of take a very Al-Anon approach to like a, an Al-Anon approach. Yeah, an okay, Al-Anon explain approach that. to um, <laughs> uh, occult books, and that is in, in, in Al-Anon we have a saying. Um, take what you like and leave the rest. Like okay. basically in a meeting, like, you know, anything that like really clicked with you, mm-hmm. I mean, really work with that and anything that just didn't really sit with you well, or you, you just don't didn't need like to it, carry it around. Don't carry that weight. Okay. And um, so I kind of ended up like amending a lot of like the theological sides of it and kept a lot of the practical sides of it. Okay. I, um, I mean, it just makes sense. It's, it's a very, like you said, blueprint is a great word for it. Yeah. And it's a, if, if you'd never, heard anything at all about paganism or witchcraft or Wicca or anything like that, if you picked up that book, you'd have a pretty firm base to start out at. With. Yeah. And it's a pretty safe book too, because it's not a lot of misinformation that you're going to get because a lot of like mm-hmm. Wiccan flavored books will tell you, Oh, it's such an ancient religion. It's not, it's and, from the 1950s. Yeah. I mean, you know, like it, it's within a few people's lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Like, there are people walking around that are older than Wicca. Yeah. Um, and another path that I ended up on very briefly before I was like... <laughs> I think <laughs> we're refilling the ice bin back there. Uh, I, I took in a lot of information. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of hit a dead end for a while. And then I just kind of had to kind of figure out what it was I was doing. <laughs> that sounds pretty normal to me, though. Yeah. You know? It's, then, it's like anything that you are learning... <laughs> As you go along, at some point, you have to, like, stop learning, take stock of what you have. And like you said, with the Al-Anon approach, mm-hmm. you know, take what you want and sort of leave the rest. That's a perfect way to... Yeah, and there's really only so much information you can take in before that's all you're really actually doing. It's mm-hmm. just learning all these techniques and not actually figuring out what you're actually good at. Right. Like, I can attest to the fact that, like, you know, this healing stuff and you know crystals and all that that has never worked for me Mm -hmm. and it never will probably um and then i kind of 
figured out kind of what I wanted to like hone, and it's thanks to YouTube of all places. I found, and the name of the channel escapes me, but it's more rooted in folk magic. And it was really, really empowering, which is, I think, what was a, that was the dragon I was chasing the whole time. Mm -hmm. Because I felt so small for so long, and I really needed to feel personally empowered, not really just to like <laughs> squash those in my way or anything like right. that. But it was really more of, I needed to feel in control of my own life. Right. And that was a really good outlet for it. And it wasn't so sanitized. Like it was very much salt of the earth, very, you know, there is no good or evil. It really ultimately depends on what you do with it kind of thing. And right. that's really what I was looking for all along. I didn't want anyone telling me what I could and couldn't do because I'd done that my whole life and I wasn't about to get it from a practice that I was interested in. Okay. And so as a result, I kind of explored that deeper and I kind of found my niche. I think that I'm, that I was able to express a lot of my, uh, my talents and uh, skills that I had on, which was in death magic and necromancy. And whenever, if anyone has ever tried to Google necromancy, you're going to get a lot of either Dungeons and Dragons uh -huh. or video games. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so it's really hard to get any real substantial information that's not from medieval manuscripts that are quite illegal to do. Right. Because one of the big traumas in my life was centered around the very sudden and traumatic death of someone that I loved. Right. And so I had a very complicated relationship with death and this allowed me to get in touch with something that had actually scared me initially. Mm -hmm. And I was finally able to sit down with something and actually work with something on a magical level and improve my relationship with death. And, you know, it's more than just, you know, summoning and contacting ghosts and things like that. Right. It really is very much, you know, working with decay and um, the absence of life, mm -hmm. which is something that I'm very familiar with feeling. And I was, and that's something that I know what to do with instead right. of it just sitting there costing and eating away at you. And it was very much an, an emotionally healing thing and also very empowering because I don't know what to do with it. Man, I did not expect this question to go that direction. That was really good. And that you. was really also long-winded. I don't know if I actually answered it, but there you go. That's, I, I'm happy with that. Uh, two quick questions to, to end it up. Do you still practice anything from any of those abandoned previous paths? I mean, like, like what? <laughs> I mean, like any sort of path that you walked down and decided I'm not going to set up camp in that town, right? But I am going to pick this flower because I like that flower and take it with me. Um, to beat a metaphor to death, that's kind of what I meant. Um, at one point, I think I did, but now I'm kind of also like doing like a, uh, I guess, a practitioner's audit of myself mm. where I'm trying to be more critical of what I'm actually doing as to whether or not it's even ethical. Okay. Um, for example, for like listeners, um, like is what I'm doing actually like culturally appropriate or is right. this actually something that I'm allowed to, is this tied to a, another culture that I'm not a part of and I'm not even aware of it? Mm -hmm. Or is this really um, kind of a stolen practice from other secretive paths that are really not mine to be old to begin with? Like I know there's like a lot of like 
paths that were kind of jacked from like the Freemasons and mm -hmm. other secretive societies and you know, those are ours. Right. You know, we should come on, we're witches, we're creative, we can do better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I one of my interviews that I've set up is a friend of mine, uh, whose name I won't use yet because I don't know if that's the name he wants to use or not. But he's an anthropologist. And mm -hmm. so we when I said, could you could you be interviewed on a podcast about appropriation? He got so excited because that's what he that's what he does and studies and teaches. So I'm really excited about that. Lastly, what is the type of witchcraft that you know nothing about but have always wanted to learn? I think when I have the least um, functioning knowledge of and would like to learn more about because I think it has a lot of potential in my life mm -hmm. in terms of practicing would be chaos magic. Oh Jesus, I know you don't do chaos magic. <laughs> oh my god. Just you... let me know. I'm gonna leave town for a while. <laughs> I'm not implying, I'm coming out and saying it outright. No, I, I understand that. That's completely um, understandable. But, but like what I what little I do understand is the one thing that is very attractive is the idea of completely taking something apart in a very intimate way and putting it together and as something new, like very similar to sigil magic, you take a word, you completely deconstruct it and sure. turn it into something else and more empowering. Right. That holds a lot of appeal because they're like, there's a lot of things I'd like to take apart in my life and reconstruct it into something that I actually have a say over. Right. So that holds a lot of appeal, but again, I don't really have a lot of running knowledge because that's one of those weird paths of magic that if you're not careful in your research, it gets into a very strange direction because I noticed that it holds a lot of appeal to either very intelligent people uh -huh. or very um, not very stable people that often are in like those uh, alt-right Reddit groups. <laughs> Oh my god. So, so that's one of those things you have to be really careful with. I know it's one of those groups also. It's one of those types of magic that a lot of people that only know enough to be dangerous are attracted to practice that. Yeah. Uh, this might have to be like round one. All right. Well, uh, we've been talking to Aaron Carter. Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones. We've been talking to. Okay, I'm going to do that again. I cannot remember your fucking name. Okay, I'm going back. All right, we've been talking to Aaron Jones. This is Witchcraft Off the Beaten Path. And he is also the host of Hiking Olympus, which you can also find on uh, Anchor FM and, and Spotify. Spotify podcasts. Thank you for joining.